Welcome to the Kavod Family Podcast. Kavod Family exists for the restoration of families and the transformation of communities. Good morning, guys. How are you? This is Travis Shook, and we've got, we've always got Casey. Casey, how are you, man? Good, good. Thank you very much. And we've got someone else. Let's see if you can guess his voice. Who is it? Hello? <laughs> we've got Ben Wendell with hey. us today. How's it going? Super good. We're excited to get you in here because we're going to hit some some crazy stuff, some controversial, some touchy areas, right? <laughs> all the things all at once. That's what I'm all about. Fire hydrant. This is why I never come here. <laughs> ben, give us a rundown real quick on your background. Um, you are currently a pastor at Discover, but, sure. but before that, just real quick flyby, uh, what's your background? Yeah, so my name is Ben. Uh, I've, been in, I've been in the mountains is from the way of Miami. I've been in ministry for about 17 years now. I've got three kids, two teenagers, one 10-year-old. I've been married to Malika, will be 19 years this July. 19. So let's let's do some math there. When did you start ministry? How old were you? I was about 23. 23. And then what's the math? When did you get married? How old? 20. 20. All right. Yeah, I can relate with that. Gotcha. <laughs> nice. Yeah, like a good Christian man. <laughs> How long were you in Miami before you came up to Franklin? Uh, we were in Miami since I was 14 years old. How Miami to Franklin? Like, that's a pretty uh, drastic change. Yeah, so we went through burnout in Miami. So I was a pastor of a church down there. They basically let me do whatever I wanted to do, and I wanted to do a lot because I... <laughs> wanted to do all the things. Yeah, because I wanted to please people, and I was a pretty performance-driven person, and uh, Miami is a pretty... Like, you know, you, you get honored. Perform. Yeah. I mean, for how Giddy hard up. you work, you know, it's like the, the grind is the thing. But my kids started going to bed at night. Noah was going to bed at night saying, uh, I wish my dad wasn't a pastor. Really? Uh, and how old was he at that point? Uh, how old was he? Um, we've been here for eight years. He was old. Okay. <laughs> I think he was like... <laughs> eight, nine, ten, something like that. like seven. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. Right, but it was, it was old enough that it hit you. Oh, to yeah. Realize. I mean, and I realized it too. I mean... I, I knew that there was a problem. So what happened was in North Miami. What do you had, What do you think he meant by that? Like, what was he really? What What part of your job as a pastor? He meant did it he literally. Hate? Uh, so like, well, what he hated was the time it took away from. Dad was never home. So what happened was we were in a um, city called Pembroke Pines. It was a big, fast-growing suburban area, but I kind of cut my teeth in it, downtown Hollywood, which was um, very gritty. And so I was. I wanted to get my hands dirty again, and so we went to North Miami to plant a campus down there. And part of the gig was that there was a um, uh, what is it parsonage yep. that was like yeah, right yeah. next to the church. Literally, was like three feet away from the church. And I thought, if bittersweet. The <laughs> yeah, I thought if the parsonage is there, then I'm always going to be home. And it was the exact opposite. It was like because I could see my backyard from my office window, I didn't need to go home. Really? Yeah. And so, and plus, everybody could come get you at right. any time. And I, you know, I learned later. It's after moving to the mountains that I had a problem with codependency. I had a problem with people pleasing. I had a messiah complex. Like when we left North Miami and came to Franklin, there was a lot of reasons behind that. Not just the burnout, but. North Miami became a very dangerous place. There were several drive-by shootings out front of the house. Somebody died outside of our house when the kids were home. They were shot. Mm. And the parsonage was 3,000 square feet, but the whole family slept in one room. Yeah. And so when we ended up moving to the mountains, I felt like a failure. Like, I felt like... Whoa, 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 whoa. wait a minute. You had a 3,000 square foot parsonage? Yeah. 
Dude, it was legit, bro. <laughs> what, what, and and everyone was in one room. So so what the rest of the house was just pool tables and play. <laughs> Wouldn't and that be fun? Ping pong. No, it was it was a very large living room. You know, we hosted a lot of things. Uh, and there was multiple bedrooms. Big open areas, family yeah. areas. I got yeah. you. Yeah. So it was very nice. Um but at the same time. But you made the the choice to move, which I want to highlight this. This is super cool. And you just gave like a practical example of choosing your family and not the ministry and the position and the fame. So knowing that God is our first priority and then your family. In ministry, there's like this weird dance of like you're serving God, but you could mm-hmm. go too far beyond that where you're serving yourself in, in the view of that. And your son's heart moved you to reprioritize your life. Absolutely. But wow. it's still through God's lens, you know, because you're prioritizing your son, which is what God absolutely would want you to do while still pursuing him and not causing your son to have a negative view of God in the process. That's huge. That's yeah. a lot right there. Well, part of it, too, was I've been in ministry long enough to see, uh, you know, my the pastor I served had kids my age in their 20s when I was in North Miami, and he had three kids. None of them were Christians. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that their dad was never home. Yeah. And I didn't want that for my kids. And Malika is a strong enough woman to tell me that's not what she wants in a husband. Uh, that she wants somebody present, and that our family needed to be first. So she stepped in. I mean, she she verbalized some of those concerns with you. Yes, but you know, I will say, you know, she verbalized the concerns. But you know, she's a very trusting woman. I will say that um, she. It was hard for her to want to move from her hometown, sure, to the mountains. Yeah. But when we got to the mountains, the reason why I felt like a failure is I kind of felt like Satan won. Because if I had just been better with my time, then the real ministry was in North Miami where people are getting shot. Mm-hmm. And I ran from ministry to the mountains. So, like, did I, did I lose? Did Satan win? Yeah. And that's when I realized that I had a Messiah complex, that I felt like if I wasn't in North Miami, nor was Jesus. And to be honest with you, North Miami is, is little Haiti. And so I had to ask myself the question, you know, if Jesus goes to the woman at the well, converts a Samaritan woman to reach Samaria, then who best to reach little Haiti would have been probably a Haitian person. Yeah. And so, like, I had to kind of get over the fact that was part of my people-pleasing, is yeah, it had to sure. be me. I'm kind of a perfectionist in a sense. Like, well, I have a sense that this is how it's supposed to happen, and I've got to do it. And the pastor prior to you had a similar experience, not the exact right. same, but similar, right? He was... Mm-hmm. He'd almost lost his children, and in, in pursuing and the lens this. of that, yeah. And no one had no one had broken that that system or that <clears throat> that revol- you know that that habit revolving door of and that. shown you or built a structure exactly to where pastors right. could be healthy down there and not just give themselves to people so, over and over and over. Not to throw anybody under the bus, but I needed help. Sure. And so uh, I was reading books by other pastors, and one pastor said, "When I planted the church, God and I talked, and and." I said, God, can I do this in 40 hours a week? And God said, yes. And he said, so now I'm, 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 I'm pastor 40 hours. I, I can do it 40 hours a week. I was like, that's impossible. And so I was working 60, 70 hours a week, and I had told my pastor at the time, I was like, something's got to change. He's like, don't worry, I'll fix it. And so I go to the next all-staff meeting. We're a multi-campus church. All the staff is there. And he writes on the board. He puts a 60 on the board, and he circles it. And he says, if you want to be in ministry, that's how many hours you have to be willing to work. And so that kind of also reinforced, like, yeah. So honestly, I thought 
that when we moved to Franklin, that I was going to be planting a church somewhere that was going to do church different, a church that would put families first. Um, but, you know, God had different plans, and we fell in love with Franklin. And I believe that, you know, this is a totally different conversation, but I believe that small towns are the mission field of the United States. I feel like seminaries are sending pastors to these big cities all the time. Well, and for for the last 15 years, 20 years, the, the inner city has been a big focus. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you look at small towns, crime rate index is much bigger in small towns. Depression, much bigger. Poverty, so much bigger. And if you look at Jesus's life, the majority of his ministry was done in small towns. So th- this is one thing that I love about small towns, just side tangent here. The other opportunities in small towns is that families have a better opportunity to buy and own their homes, mm. to start up small businesses, to 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 kind of entrepreneur their own endeavor, like start things, but then also to get involved involved with local politics, local office, maybe run for some school board. Like there's just so much more involvement in a smaller town that you can have than when you're in a big city where you're competing against a hundred thousand people. Absolutely it's just, right. I mean, not even close. Yeah. So. Well, how's it been since you've been here to Franklin? How are your family doing? It's been terrible. It's been awful. Everybody's just <laughs> quit on me. And No, it's been fantastic. It's been, a, a, honestly, a tremendous blessing. Uh, God has rescued our family. And it's been it, awesome. We've had to do some work. You know, I had to go sure. through a 12-step program to recover from codependency. Um, you know, we've had to focus a lot more on the kids than maybe, like, my personal career. I've had to learn how to say no which is ridiculously hard for me even today, uh, just because I, I'm motivated by trying to manage somebody's feelings as a codependent. Yeah. But, um, but other than that, it's just been a tremendous blessing, and uh, we're blessed to be here. And how, how do you feel like God has reframed your view on... You said it, it felt like a failure leaving Miami, coming up to the mountains. How has God reframed that view of failure on that? So for me... I think, honestly, it's interesting. Sometimes I, I feel like, even as a pastor, like you can fail at a, at a point that there's no coming back from it. And I know better because I'm a pastor. So like for me, like if I've left the mission field and now I'm in, in, in the mountains, am I going to live the rest of my life? thinking I made the wrong decision. Um, and so just having to kind of come to grips with that and even making a choice that the world will tell you is a failure. And I think that's the, the hardest thing too, Yeah, is making a choice that might not be popular for the rest of the world. I can't tell you when I made, was telling, we were telling people, hey, we're yeah, moving sure. to Franklin. Your, they're your all friends, going, your colleagues and stuff. They're all going, where is that? Like, <laughs> It's not oh, Franklin, Tennessee. How many people live there? And <laughs> Not Why would you walk away 4, from this? I had a, a friend down there. We're still great friends today. You know, he's like, if you want to plant a church down here, I'm all in on on this amount of money. It was a great amount of money, and he's like, you're a legend down here. Why would you move? And so there's all these questions. Why? Because the legend's got to die. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what's funny is like our, our the, the the my pastor at the time had been to Franklin before, and he was like, there is nothing there. And so it's it's one of those things that you really have to struggle with. You have to die to your ego, and and that was part of it, I'd, I'd say. But the other part of it was just, I mean, you can quickly get over it when you start to see fruit. Yeah. It's interesting to see fruit from failure. That's really 
weird. You segued <laughs> right where we're going really yeah. well. Yes, you did. <laughs> so what we want to jump into today is the subject of failure in a home. Um, th- there's got to be a certain amount of permission when you're training your children or when God's training you, Ben, or me, or, or you, Travis. Yeah, absolutely. There's this... There's the, Failure is just ingrained in the process. In order to develop a human being or a person or anything, there's going to be failure. But often in life, that is so not like we don't teach that. We don't give approval for that. We teach and the you, opposite. And you hide it. It's embarrassing. It's it's like shameful to have failed. But when you realize that like that is failure is perspective, you know. But it's what we hit on last episode is passivity and how there's a, a small lens of that that is a good thing and can be a good thing but also that most people become passive because they fear failing. They feel insufficient and adequate in whatever, whether it's being a husband, being a boss, being a father, whatever it is. They just avoid it, and they would rather stick to what they know and what they're good at. But we want to kind of reshape that lens on failure. What exactly is failure? What's God's view on failure? And kind of give some examples of the Bible on how so many of these famous people in the Bible messed up repetitively. <laughs> I mean, you look at, they, they call Jesus the son of David. David murdered people and, and committed adultery and killed this. One of his soldiers killed him to have his wife. But like he said, God, forgive me, you know, take not your Holy Spirit from me because he understood the value in that. And still in the scriptures, it talks about Jesus being the son of David, the son of a adulterer who murdered, you know, yeah. like the view on failure, we really need to to break and submit to God. Yeah, many of the psalms that you read today are, are were written after David's failure and after his being restored to God. Yeah. And so there's incredible lessons that can be learned from pain, but just the basic general growing of a human being, no matter what it is, basic skills, basic habits, cooking and cleaning. And mm. I mean, like I, as a father, you really have to pause and give permission like, okay, wait a minute, either I'll sweep the floor or I'm going to allow my five-year-old to do it. And it's going to be terrible, but this is training and this is part of life and you have to make room and time mm-hmm. for that because it is it is so much easier to step in and so much faster to just get it done by yourself. But that's not what God wants. No, not at all. So I guess an easy place to start is the definition of a failure. It's a condition or fact of not achieving the desired end being insufficient or falling short. So obviously most of us are like, hey, we would we want to achieve the desire end goal. Like that's the reason why we made the goal and the idea behind it. But I feel like most of us don't truly know what the end goal is. The big picture is what's the prize? What did Jesus come to contend for, you know? And when you grab a hold of that and you understand it's it's your value, it's your heart, it's your identity, that gives you the freedom to fail. Well, in what you're talking about, and Ben, jump in on this. Um, the thing that we say is the pinnacle of life is a healthy relationship with God, a good, godly relationship. That's the pinnacle. That's what we all should be chasing after. And in relationship, there's 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 an understanding of failure and growth and respect and love and kindness. There's this exchange of of forgiveness that takes place. In the rest of the world that we live in, failure is such a negative thing. In business, if you fail, you're done. You're cut, and they immediately hire somebody else, right? And in so many other places, too. But in for us, when we're talking about life, what a successful... Um, like a like, what is the the pinnacle of life? By the end of your age, when you look back and you say, I've ran the race, I've lived well, what are you talking about? And for us, it's I've managed my relationship with God well, I followed Him, I obeyed Him, and then I cared for the people around me, right? I loved Him and I loved the others. That's the 
that's the pinnacle of life. Those are the two great commandments in the scriptures, to love God and love your neighbor. And so we want to do that well, and failure is a part of that. Absolutely. I mean, you look at Jesus' disciples, they walked with him, lived with him, and they were missing the mark left and right, you know? Like, I mean, the one story that we were talking about earlier, Ben, the Sons of Thunder, um, I forget, you guys would know, what what town were they walking through where they didn't receive him? I forget what it was, uh, but, you know, yeah, they come out of that town and yeah. they didn't receive him. And the the Sons of Thunder are like, God, let's let's call down fire on them. Let's, let's burn them up. And it's like, Jesus is like, why do you think I'm here? Like, I'm here for them. We're not going to roast them because they didn't receive me. And, I mean, these men lived with Jesus, but Jesus didn't... I mean, he, he showed them the standard. So that's, that's one thing we kind of want to get into as well. There is a standard. That doesn't mean you just fail forever and you don't make progress and it's okay because we love you and it's full of grace. Like, Jesus has a standard. But when you're with him, you, you, you're not happy staying where you are. You want to become more like him. You want to love like him. And he convicts you to become a better version. And you do that around every, everybody that you're around, you know? Yeah. I think that's the beauty of having a relationship with God, is that it's the kind of relationship that you have freedom to love well. I mean, we're, we're called to love irrationally without checking to see if somebody deserved it first. <laughs> and, you know, the best quote, I, I, one of the quotes I like about our relationship with God is it's, it's not like, whoa, I messed up, nobody tell Dad. It's like, whoa, I messed up, I better call Dad. And that's the kind of relationship that I want with God is, is kind of that freedom to fall short sometimes and run to Him. Also like how Paul reminds us too, is, you know, it's, we're not talking about sin here. I mean, there's a big difference between Absolutely. trying and failing and then, and then just sinning, going, sinning, sinning, sinning. sinning, yeah. sinning. And Paul <laughs> says, don't keep on sinning that grace may abound. I mean, God's grace is sufficient for you. He's, he's going to cover that. But yet at the same time, like we're called to more, as what Paul's constantly reminding us of. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute. Um, we, we talked about how you had to give yourself permission to fail and to pastor it and to, and to grow out of that and grow through that. Take this home and let's all talk about what it's like in the home as fathers. We're all fathers, right? We all have um, sons and daughters at home. And, and so failure has to be a part of their development. Uh, it has to be a part of your daily life. Gentlemen, um, I'll just I'll just start with this. I heard a story of a gentleman, a guy the other day. His wife had, you know, she fell short in some way. I can't remember what it was. Maybe she was back talking or rude, or she was nag- I can't remember exactly what it was. But she sat down and grabbed her Bible to read it and just get alone and start calming down and work through some things. And the husband just railed her, and you know, how dare you go and you know be holier than thou and all of that. And and that is absolutely wrong. The thing that we want to encourage people to do when they fail, when they fall short relationally or in a project or whatever it is, is actually the relationship you draw closer to it, that you draw closer to God or you draw closer to your father or your mother or whoever's mentoring you and teaching you and that you begin to walk in their footsteps even closer, right? So how have you guys fleshed that out in your own relationships? I mean, have there, have there been times where you had to teach your own children to draw near rather than push away? Absolutely. And I think the way God works, I mean, he's a good father is he teaches it. He works it out in you first. So that way you can see it in your, you know, your wife or your kids or people that you lead in your business or whatever. So then you can give them a model. I can't tell you how many times Reed is like, I've said this a million times on the podcast. Reed is the one that can get under my skin and bring me to frustration and anger the, the fastest. 
but also he's one of the closest that I am with. And there's so many moments where like as a father, especially whenever he was really young and we were in the early years of opening the business and everything was stressful, money was tight. He was the one that would get the brunt of my anger and my frustration. And so many times there would be a moment where he did something wrong and then I would teach and then I would react. And there was a defining moment where like I knew, I was like, dang it, that wasn't right. Whether I yelled, whether I reacted, whatever I did was wrong. And I literally felt like God was like a, a mic in my ear, like a, just a little headphone. He's like, hey, you were great up until this moment. And then here you went south and did what Travis wanted to do. And I was like, okay, so so now what? And he's like, you're not a failure. You're not a terrible father. You were great and were residing with me until this moment. And then this moment you took over. He said, so teach your son that so your son doesn't do the same thing. So, you know, I come over to read him and say, hey, bud, I'm sorry. You did this wrong. This is the standard. This is what Scripture says. This is what I want. The standard you missed was here. And I started teaching you it. We are doing good. And then dad went wrong right here. So when I reacted, I screamed, whatever I did, I was wrong. And every time he's like, no, dad, you're okay. No, no, no. And I'm like, thank you for the grace there. But like, I'm teaching you, I messed up. I missed the mark here. Here's scripture. It, it, you know, it says to do this. I went wrong here. So will you forgive me? And he's like, absolutely. And I said, thank you. And I went to God and he taught me like, at this moment, you needed to come to me versus you try to carry it. So the, the way God has done it for me with my kids and my wife is he'll expose the problem in me first. And I see it, and I'm like, okay. And he'll bring me to Scripture, and he'll teach me in it, and then he wants me to go replicate that in them. So whether they do the same thing as they get older, they might, or they might be like, Dad did this to me, and I remember this, and I don't want to do this again. You know, but like, don't be ashamed of when you mess up, because failure is perspective. If you mess up, but you learn, like most of my... I guess you could say my wins with Reed right now, like I trust him. We can go almost anywhere. He can do, he can talk to adults. Like I trust him with so much more than a normal 10 year old because of all the times he's messed up and I've messed up. We've had grace. We've came before God. We've gotten to the scripture and we've applied it. So that's allowed us to mature and progress in our relationship beyond all others because it's out of failure that we've went to the father. So to answer your question, long story short is, he worked it in me first, not that I have it all figured out, but he's exposed the problems and the failures within me, and I bring that to light, and I show that in my family so that way they learn from my mistakes. Does that make sense? Your, your example almost gives them permission. Exactly. And when he does it, again, I'm like, hey, remember when Dad did that? He's like, yeah. Like, okay, so one time, reading as we're screaming, <laughs> fighting, and been all day long, and I was like, stop, 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 stop. And he even brought up Scripture, stop. And I was in the middle of a turn. We were turning on the Highlands Road. I remember it. And I go, stop. And I had a coffee mug in my hand. And I, like, jerked. And the coffee mug hit the dash and just shrapneled. Coffee <laughs> went everywhere. And the kids were like, oh, my gosh, my dad is going to lose it. So I got quiet, and I prayed. I was like, yep, that was too far. And we pulled in. We had, like, football practice or something. We did practice, and I got behind the car. I was like, guys, I'm sorry. I was like, you guys were we're wrong though. Fighting, da da da. Here's the standard. Here's the example. I said, but dad went south here. And to this day, we go by that spot. They're like, dad, this is where you smashed our coffee mug. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, but it's good because we learned and it got our attention and we forgive you. And they, they grabbed a hold of that lesson, but I didn't hide from my mistake. Yeah. I brought it to light so everybody could be, could learn from it because my identity and my worth wasn't tied to my failure. It was a teaching moment. Mm. Ben, you have teenagers in the home, right? Yeah. 
I mean, I think it's important, like for my kids, you know, it's interesting. I feel like how we handle failure and how we handle conflict are like so tied together. Absolutely. So for my kids, very early on, when they were really young, I wanted them to hear me apologize because, I mean, that's a big part of life. That's a big part of how we handle failure. Like we own it. This is what I did wrong. And I seek repentance and I seek forgiveness. And so I apologized often to my kids. And I know some parents too, when it comes to even conflict, um, you know, a lot of the way that we handle conflict today, probably nobody ever sat you down and said, here's how you handle conflict. It just, it's, we picked it up in the home. <laughs> just figured whether, it out. <laughs> whether we saw it or we didn't see it. I mean, we were mentored in conflict. Some of us avoid conflict because we never saw it. Some of us, because we saw it and it was dangerous. With conflict, we don't feel safe. Right. And I will say that's the same with failure. Uh, when we saw somebody fail in the home and they were torn apart for it, we're ashamed of our exactly. failure. Exactly, you avoid it. Yeah, and so, or you minimize your failure. And so it's been actually kind of hard with my kids um, growing up, but as, as teenagers, they're kind of getting it and they kind of avoid, you know, we had a, something that happened recently with, with Noah, my oldest, and he just didn't want to say anything about it because he felt ashamed from his failure. Sure, sure. And That's it was a natural a, response. Yeah. It was important for me though, for him to see what happens when that failure is brought to the light. When it's brought to the light, you own it and we can be honest about it. Like, Hey bro, you messed up. Like you could have come to me early and said this was happening and we could have handled it together. But at the same time, like there's grace on this end. You know, next time this happens, I'm here for you. And I brought other men in his life where he could share that story. And they're cool. like, hey man, I've been there too. This is and so he could see when you bring something that's in the darkness, and honestly, Satan uses that and says, This is who you are. Failure is not an event, it's a person, and that's who you are. Exactly. Uh, you should be ashamed of this. But once it's brought to the light and what it's met with is grace, I mean, that changes everything. And so I'm really hoping that That's he awesome. holds on to that, and he's not ashamed to bring those things to light in the future. But when it comes to conflict, too, I, I want him to see, my kids to see Malika and I in conflict. I don't want to hide that from them. I want them to see healthy conflict. So practically, when, when do you say, love, let's go in the other room and discuss this. This is too much in front of the kids. And when do you flesh it out in front of the kids? I don't know if there's ever been a time where I said this is too much in front of the kids. So maybe really? that, I, I mean, honestly, I, I can't say that there was. There's ever really been a, I, a I big can, enough issue, but I can agree with that. When it's when it's between Lydia and I, they'll stay in the room and we'll talk about it. And a few times they've ran in, they're like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "We're." I said, "Do we look like we're losing it?" And they're like, "No." I said, "We're just talking." I was yeah. like, "Just we're good," you know. But like if. Because they're so young and they don't have that discretion, if we're like, hey, you know, one of the coaches forgot to do X, Y, Z, I need to talk to him tomorrow. You know, they forgot to lock up or whatever. I will tell them to leave the room because they don't have that maturity right. with the with the, somebody else. When there Does needs to sense? be discretion yeah. with names. Exactly. Absolutely. But if it's just between Malika and I, so like, you know, Malika and I do premarital counseling. So, I mean, come on, guys, we're the best couple out there. But anyways... Uh, <laughs> No, we have our failures, you guys. But, you know, we've done a lot when it comes to conflict styles. And there's one conflict style out there that I think is counterintuitive to failing well, and that's when you have to win. If you have to win... Ooh, well said. Say that every, again. Yes. If you have to win in every conflict you're in, it's you're not failing well. I mean, you're hiding failure. You're oppressing people who might hold you accountable. A lot of ego in that, it to, sounds yes, like. Yes, to that failure. 
Um, but the one that we like, you know, there's, there's ones where you withdraw from conflict, and that kind of shows the shame and failure. Um, there's one where you compromise when it comes to conflict. But the best one is obviously resolving a conflict. And one of the reasons why we don't like to resolve things is it takes us to be honest yeah. about our failure. It's like a locked room that you don't want anybody in. You have to open that door, and you have to go into that room, that failure. And what you think they're going to do is walk in and be like, man, there's underwear on the floor. <laughs> this, is, this, this place is gr gross. It smells like nachos in here. Like, what is this? But what they do is with you hand in hand, instead of judging you and going, yeah, you're disgusting. They're like, you know, we could do so much. This, this room has so much room for activities. Like, we can plant a garden in here and watch it truly grow. Uh, but we believe those lies that if I let somebody into that room, because the space between your failure and bringing it into the light is, isn't empty. It's filled with a deceiver and a liar. Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't gonna, want you to receive that. That's he's going to tell you everything you believe about this confrontation, everything you believe about this failure is true. And there's such a, there's, I mean, like you said the other day, Casey, Satan has a counterfeit for everything that God does. Absolutely. So if I've done something wrong, God will convict me. He will, he will show me his love and he'll show me the better version of what I'm supposed to do. Right behind that conviction is condemnation where Satan will come. He's like, you're terrible. You're a terrible dad. You're a terrible husband. You're a loser. What kind of Christian are you? And all of those thoughts and those, they, they attack you at your core and your identity. And if Satan can get you to focus on your failures, you're going to start replicating that. It's going to consume who you are, and you you associate, like you said, failure is a, is a an action. It's not a person. It's not consuming you in the act of it. So a lot of times, my coaches, when they first started coaching and you know locking up and leading people, they would fumble their words. They would say stuff backwards, and you know we'd meet afterwards, and I would give them criticism, you know, and make, make them better. And a few of them would, they, they'd be emotional or be sad. I'm like, you got to understand how I look at you is no different. How I view you. I love you just the same because you're God's son or daughter. Like that never changes, but we can become better at the things that you're doing. And that's okay. Like if I correct you, it's not, I hate you. I don't love you anymore. You're fired. It's like, no, let's become a better coach. Let's become a better mom, a wife, a father, a husband. So having that freedom to walk into that and the freedom, I feel like once you, so many people fear failure because they tie the failure to their identity, to their worth, to their value. And if we can sever that thought process, because that's not how Jesus looks at you, you know, he came and died for that and forgave you for that. Yeah. That's that legalist mind. Just like, like you guys were saying, the sons of thunder and so many others that were saying, Hey, isn't it time to make war and defeat these people and set mm -hmm. us free? Isn't it time to win rather than just keep losing in life? And Jesus' intention was so much deeper in the value of a, a human being going after the heart that it would actually belong to God. I mean, think about think about that. Not just that we would behave externally, but that the, that our heart would beat in a way to where we desire the things that God desires. That we've failed enough and and fought through enough sin and conquered enough shame and doubt and worry and all those things to where our heart has actually now been cleansed and set apart and it's alive to God. And that we think about people the way that God would want us to think about them. And we feel for them in a way that God would want us to feel for them, right? Like there's a lot of honest failure in dealing with your failures that you have to go through to get to that place where you can look at them. I, like I love the story of Peter, like yeah, one of the greatest one. failures, right? He denies Christ in his, in his final hour. 
right? He, he fails. And then when he goes to restore him, when Jesus meets with him privately and restores him, he restores him. But the way that he restores him is right back to serving people. He's like, look, you, you failed me, and you might think that you're totally ill-equipped to love others and lead others and guide others, but as I restore you, I want you to go and feed my sheep. I want you to go and love my sheep. I want you to go care for my sheep. Like He's, he's putting him back in that place where he is capable to do what God has called him to do, right? And so we, we just need to remember that, and it's, it's, I mean, there's no perfect way, but, but men, gentlemen, Fathers, husbands, like you have to remember, like don't be so offended or quick to respond when failure happens. Like don't be nervous and ashamed that your child failed or fell short or that or you have you did, right. yeah, or your family did in public. Like that's the big one. I know, you know, as a as a new father, if you're out in public and your kids are going wild, there's this this you know your body gets hot, you get worried, and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to get out of this place. You can feel before your blood really... pressure rising, yeah. <laughs> and it's that moment where it's like, okay, I have to pause, and how do I deal with my children in a way where I respect their dignity? You know, I value them above everyone else in this room, right? I value them more than anyone else that, that sees them, and I and I care for them and teach them and bring them out. Like I, I yeah. bring a closure to this behavior, mm-hmm. but I bring them out of it. I like it. So I guess some practical steps to to take home and we'll kind of tie into the, the end part that I'm excited to hit is how do we get better at failing? If you were, I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are, if you're married, not married, whatever. Like, what would you guys say to someone who is petrified of failing, who hates it? My thing is, I, I feel like everything that we've said here kind of falls into that. It, it, you have to change your view of failure. Uh, somebody might hate failure if they did some some hard inner work, because maybe failure was wasn't meant with love, met with love sure. in their yeah. family of origin. Uh, but ultimately, you got to get to a place where your identity isn't wrapped up around your success. But to be honest with you, God doesn't call us to be successful people. He calls us to be obedient people, and so we have to kind of change the definition of what does success look like as a Christian. I was reading one author, and he said uh, he felt like God was calling him to write a book. And he had written a book before that was a bestseller, and he goes, but what if I write this book and it's not a bestseller? He felt like God was telling him, write the dang book. Yeah, who cares? Yeah, because I asked you to. Whether it's a bestseller or not, whether nobody reads it, would you still write this book because I asked you to? Mm -hmm. And so for us, I think, whether it's going out to start a business and it fails, whether it's planning your first date night and it's it's a bomb... (laughs) Whether it's like taking your kids out in public, like to go eat, and you snap at them, and you you kind of failed at a, as a father. Yeah. If you, if you don't look at that as as like I, I was a total failure, but instead of saying how can I grow from this, mm-hmm. then you can turn that into an obedient moment. Exactly. And if you can turn your perspective of what I'm supposed to do is be a success, instead say what I'm supposed to do is be obedient. I think, you know, it's been hard for me as a pastor because it's like, well, the way we measure success is like crowd size. Mm-hmm. You know, like what if I do a special service like on Good Friday and 10 people show up? Was it a waste or did I do it because God asked me to? Exactly. Don't, don't you wish you had like an in-body that measured like the health of a heart? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that they're actually believing from faith or obeying from faith exactly. and, and growing I mean, in that, that regard. I that think we could awesome. spin around in circles. Ultimately, I think you just have to do it. You have to do something. <laughs> but I think I think it's redefining and changing 
what failure looks like for you. And I think for a lot of people, I think majority of men, it's an identity issue. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll throw two things out there. If you're older uh, and you, you either have people around you that are terrified to fail, like you're saying, Travis, or you yourself, just anxiety, stress, worry, dep- like all those feelings when it comes to failure. Mm. I think one of the things very practically that you can do is find a different peer group. <laughs> no, it's true. Like absolutely, because because look, there's such an insecurity that is tied to failure. Like you're just terrified to say the wrong thing. You're always insecure when you're in front of people. You maybe hold back rather than try, rather than speak. Like you, you got to get around people that just think differently exactly. about relationships. And they would almost push you in to an extent into failure. Because if you think about the perfect yeah. example is the gym in the class. Like you were in class this morning, David was in class and you guys are lifting and it looked good. You know, we're staying light, working on technique. And I was like, why don't you add more? That looks easy. Why don't you add more? It looks easy to the point where obviously you're safe, but even like a box jump, we're increasing high. Why don't you go higher? Come on, what you got? And there's that push and yes. you're nervous, but that push, it calls out more and it, it brings you to a, a better version of yourself. And you're like, oh man, I hate you, but I'm going to do it. All right, here we go. Right. And if so if you have peer groups where failure means separation, divorce, like, it, it just, like if you fail one big fight and it just means cuts ever get you out of my life, like that's an extremely unhealthy relational circle that you're in. Like, get out of it. Find some new friends at school. Go look for those that That's good. smile more, laugh more, that cry, that work through yeah, their emotions that aren't suppressing those fringe edges. And so that, I mean, that's just practical. And, and that's if you're young or if you're old, like, man, God has redrawn my friend circles so many times. And I think we get you know, we don't give him permission to do that. Like there's just times where God changes the world that you live in and the people that you're around and it's for your better and it's for his glory. And you got to give him permission to do that. Amen. I mean, it says some scripture guys, let's throw down. Bring it, bring it. And <laughs> uh, John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he glorifies he puts in a pot and he like puts it on the windowsill and he shows it off there. He says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes yeah. that it may bear more fruit. I think there's several things in that. One is we need to prune our peer group. I mean, if you're with a group of men that only share their success and they're never sharing their failure, and every time you meet with them, you, you're like pre-gaming, like what good things can I share with them right now? <laughs> And then also, how like, do I hide the thing well, I did? Well said. Yeah. That's good. And I, and I also think that you know pruning looks a lot like failure, if we can be honest. Absolutely. Like, um, you know, the more mature, more mature a tree gets, the more fruit it produces. But that's not true for Christians. Sometimes the more mature a Christian gets, the more critical they get. The more um, look at me. resistance yeah. of failure, the more impatient with failure they get. And what God has to do is come along and prune that. Yeah. And in some ways that he prunes things out of our life is just coming forward with failure and, and saying, hey, I took on too much. Maybe I shouldn't coach this team. I took on too much. Maybe I should let somebody else lead that, that group. Hey, I took on too much. And, and embrace the yeah. pruning. Yeah, absolutely. One other, um, one other thing, if you've got younger children, I've got younger children in the home. The thing that has helped me a ton, absolutely a ton, because little kids, high emotions, you know, everything could be good. And then two seconds later, everyone's fighting at each other, screaming and yelling. And, you know, that's how it goes with little, little ones. Um, 
having family meetings and doing them spontaneously, often in the car, pull over on the side of the road. Like I, my, my temperature gauge is set for relationship. It's mm. not like, so if, if I see you mistreating somebody, yelling at tr- somebody, you know, not playing well, like, like that is the thing that I'm always listening for and looking for in my own home. And those are great times to pause everyone on the couch, something about pause family meeting. It like gives permission to reset. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's at that time that you can just generally remind, hey, look, our standards around this home is to take care of one another and to love others and to serve others. And when we do that with our little kids, it immediately stops the blow-up anger fights mm. and, and all that, and it puts it in this place to where there's a conversation about what's going on and how they feel and what's... You know you know what I mean? Like you're going, hopefully, I'm tapping deeper into that heart. shepherding oh, a father's are. heart when you do those things. But that has been so, like, put it in your tool bag, pause, time out. We've pulled over on the side of the road in road trips and just said, hey, whole family out of the car. We're going to sit on the side of the road and talk. And it was a game changer rather mm. than just trying to get home and finish go. the race. Yeah. Like, take care of relationships and, and you'll 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 teach this principle. That's good. I, our, what's beautiful about that is our teens have gotten to the place where they call family meetings. And it's kind of embarrassing, that is awesome. but they'll be like, "Hey, uh, family meeting, real quick," you know. And so that is amazing. You're like, "Dang, well played." Yeah, I used to do that. <laughs> well, Ben, uh, thank you for coming on. Sure. Uh, we really appreciate not just your time here, but what you've meant to this community. Thank you for, uh, thank you, Lord, that you drug Ben out of Miami and planted him up in <laughs> yeah, you hang out with us, the Lord, mountain people. <laughs> So, um, yeah, with that, is there anything else that you'd like to share or say or, or, or impart or pass on? Let God define your view of failure. That's what I'll, I'll leave with me. I will say if you feel like you are repeating the same failure over and over, uh, find some accountability. Change your peer group. Grow. Get pruned. And I would say you're going to fail. just accept that (laughs) and make a plan to do it differently from this point on so anyway have a good day enjoy thank you for listening to the Kavod Family Podcast please like share and leave us a review if you've enjoyed this content or if you're familiar with some of our programs and partners in the Kavod Family Network please consider becoming a donor at Kavod Family slash donation God is in the process of restoring all things to himself That begins with the person. That person is part of a family, and that family belongs to a community. Kavod Family is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry.